This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. and welcome to Sightlines, your guide to the visual arts in and around Dunedin. I'm Sally McMillan and this show is brought to you on behalf of the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. Today we're joined by two promising local art school graduates, Ben Fitzgerald and Esmond Patterson. But first, here's DPAC Society President Ross Curry with the latest on the Dunedin art scene. This is Snapshot. Ross, there's lots going on around town this month. Let's start with Gallery de Novo. Well, there certainly is, Sally. From November the 11th to the 24th, Gallery de Novo is showing work by Frank Gordon and Jenny Stringleman. Frank Gordon is a self-taught Dunedin-based artist. He has a large painting based on the botanical gardens in this show, which he's been working on for about a year. If there's such a thing as a gigantic miniature, this is it. It's easy to see how Bosch and Bruegel have inspired him. And Jenny Stringleman is known for her bright and semi-abstract florals. These will feature in this show as well as some landscapes. Well, very fitting for spring in Dunedin. And there's more floral-inspired work, I think, at the Hocken. That's right. Dunedin-based painter Joe Lestrange has an exhibition at the Hocken opening November the 4th and running to the 18th. Forty of her paintings from private collections and the Hocken collection will be featured. Joe's paintings have meticulous and sometimes quirky, precise detail. Often the blooms and foliage in her own garden have been the inspirations for her work. This is the perfect show to straddle spring and summer. And check out the Otago Art Society's annual spring exhibition at the railway station until November the 4th. From November the 4th until early January, they have the Love, Buy and Take exhibition of members' paintings. This could be the place for your special Christmas present. Aha, get down there. And what about some other galleries in town? From the 5th to the 29th of November, FE29 has an exhibition by Wellington-based Sean Torrington. Her work has pieces and fragments bound, stitched and layered, working with an array of materials. And the Whanganui-based Rainer Brothers have a show opening at Olga on November the 4th. With their fun, whimsical approach to ceramics and photographs, it will really feel like the circus is back in town. And the artist's room at the bottom of Dowling Street has several artists featuring in November with environmental themes. Dunedin-born Karen Baddock's works reflect a love of the natural world, mainly birds, but also still life and rustic country scenery. Claire Jensen makes sculpture and design from recycled materials, with nature and the environment recurrent themes. Josh Lancaster is a landscape artist based in Hawke's Bay. His bold, vibrant paintings capture the essence of familiar places and buildings. And finally, some important exhibitions coming up at the Dunedin School of Art, Ross. That's right. Yes, the Dunedin School of Art has an exhibition of work from its night classes until November the 4th. And on the 18th, 19th and the 21st of November, you can see the annual site exhibition from the latest cohort of graduates. This is a chance for the public to discover young, emerging, promising artists. And works are usually on sale at this exhibition. Thanks, Ross. And now it's time for our feature item. 
As Ross just mentioned, November is an important month for art in Dunedin because it's site time. Site is the exhibition run every year by the School of Art at Otago Polytechnic, or Teipukenga, to showcase the work of its talented graduate students. This month on Sightlines, we're speaking with two of those students, Ben Fitzgerald and Esmond Patterson, about themselves, their work and their future plans. Speaking with these young artists gives you, our listeners, an opportunity to get to know some emerging New Zealand art talent at the outset of their promising careers and to gain some insight into what it means to study fine arts in New Zealand. Ben and Esmond, welcome to Sightlines. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Zoe. So it's an exciting time for you both completing your degrees and planning for the future. There's a saying that goes something like, artists are born, not trained. Esmond, how did you come to study art at Te Bukinga? Um, So I was always very into art. Um, originally it wasn't something that I decided to pursue though. Um, I first actually went to the university um, and at the university I was actually doing geography in Māori so that's quite like a random thing. But diverse, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it was great but it, um, the structure of the uni wasn't really something that was engaging for me so I decided to take a gap year and during that gap year I kind of was like, oh, well, I have to do something and obviously art has always been a passion and I was like, why not? Let's go for it. And so, yeah. Good on you. And I think during that time you'd worked as an illustrator for Critic as well? Yeah, so this past year I've worked as um, an illustrator for The Critic, which is the student magazine, which has, again, like just been a great opportunity. We've just finished for the year. But yeah, if there's anyone listening who has <laughs> picked it up, you would have seen some of my work over this past year. Good pitch there for some potential work. <laughs> and so, Ben, were you also the arty kid at school? Yeah, I've always been very interested in art, always drawing a lot and painting as a child, and then just keeping returning to both of those things. I had initially like studied a few different things, of IT and to fashion, which... Fashion made me realize I just wanted to do art and create at a slower pace, yes. which gave me a, a lot more avenue for enjoyment for it and refinement rather than feeling like I need to rush to keep producing. Mm. And yeah, so I just keep returning to it. I studied sculpture initially, and it did the first two years of that before it just didn't quite fit. So I decided to leave and came back, and when I came back to painting, like it felt like a much better fit for me. So you as, feel like you've come home, that's your place. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, after getting into oil painting, it seemed like the perfect medium for me, where acrylic and the like always felt too stiff. There's a quality I don't particularly enjoy about it, but oil just seemed ideal. Mm. So. Yeah. And I think this year you were the winner of the Elizabeth Howie Young Artist Award at the 2022 Otago Art Society annual exhibition. So that's a, I guess, confirmation of the fact that you have found your, your calling art-wise. Yes, yeah. I won with my work Family Friend, which depicts one of my friend's crumpled cars, which had, everyone was fine. No one, no one was injured. <laughs> but... Uh, it was a car that they had since he was a kid. His parents had brought it new and they'd given it to him when he got his license. And then it had been sold and immediately written off by the following owner. And the, the way that he was talking about it, it sounded like someone talking about an uncle or like an adopted uncle, like a parent's friend kind of person, mm. where it was an object he'd invested with so much. So, yeah, I thought it would make an interesting painting, and it seems like um, the judges agreed. So It's a delightful piece. And what did that one mean for you as a student? It was a good confidence boost and just kind of an indicator that I felt like I was doing the right thing. As I, Some time ago, I 
given up on trying to make out for anybody else. And then this was like the first recognition of me making something purely for me that went mm. really well. So Great. So maybe I, I suppose talking to both of you, maybe there is some truth in that saying that, you know, artists are born, not made. Having both landed at art school, it would be interesting for listeners to know more about where your artistic leanings have taken you during your training. And Ben, you've said that, you know, oils seem to be your preferred medium. Yeah. And I think you've also said that the that, that words are a particular passion for you. Tell us about that. Yeah, I've always loved reading and have always found the idea of letters and words as their own symbols being really interesting, as both in painting and um, tattooing and signs and everything you see, words everywhere, and no matter what they look like, they already have a pre-described meaning. So unless it's a very obscure word, it will have so many connotations associated with it already, and then I quite like subverting that expectation of what it says, giving the viewer like a lot more interest in wanting to try to figure it out and mm. entertaining me by coming up with wrong interpretations. So. Yeah, <laughs> so it sort of forces some engagement. It's not just purely a look and like. It's a yeah, and it gives me a lot of space between using the words to do. It's what I especially like with painting, which is the larger passages of paint and creating an interesting surface in the spaces between. And with the prolonged engagement by people trying to figure out what it says, that gives them time to appreciate what I've done with the painting and what the parts that I enjoy about it. Do you have any particular artists whose work has inspired you in that way? Yeah, Colin McCann and Richie Culver are both artists I've looked at quite a bit in relationship to text, with the use of text creating a landscape and text being a central figure or character in a work rather than just uh, like a sign or something to that effect. So that's your painting, and I, but I don't think that's your sole means of artistic expression. No, I'm also working as a tattoo apprentice. I really enjoy doing tattooing. I find it something that I can give a lot to people, helping them like reclaim ownership of their bodies and skin. And it is also something that's extremely tight and precise, so it gives me as much want to be as loose as possible with my painting when I'm doing that, as I kind of have both extremes rather than any middle ground. It also has the um, the feeling of being a commissioned artwork every time I'm doing it, as there's so many compensations to make to make it work as a tattoo that it makes me enjoy painting more. So there's a different sort of challenge in tattoo as a form of art, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. It's closer to like a commercial design. But I still get to use all of my art-related skills, which makes it really enjoyable. Great. So, Esmond, back to you. What is your preferred medium and subject matter? So I've been kind of um, gone all over the place with my time at art school. With my technical major being electronic arts, I think... With COVID, um, I think I got a bit sick of kind of, you know, always working on a computer. So this year I'm actually doing a lot of sculptural works. But in this past year and kind of the end of last year, I've kind of focused mainly on um, gay culture and, um, and kind of responding to that. And I always quite like to have playful or something funny about the works maybe as a starting point and then kind of investigating why that feels, I don't know, humorous to me. And so last year, at the very end of last year, I actually made a print, um, and that was a zine I made. And it was kind of a response to my identity as a gay man 
living in 2021 and like post COVID and kind of the parallels. There's some things to do with like the AIDS epidemic specifically. There was a piece of uh, one illustration in particular that was kind of the response to with COVID people being told to, you know, isolate and, you know, stay home. But then with the gay culture being so hypersexualized, people breaking out of lockdown to go have casual hookups. And then you saw with the gay culture responding to that by providing alternate means of so like cyber sex and things so again there's something a little bit funny about that to me (laughs) and then uh this year i made an action figure and that was kind of playing off a certain irony um because you know if you're you don't want to give your son a barbie because the barbie's going to make him gay so instead (laughs) i'm going to give him a super buff army man that's going to make him big and tough but then there's an irony in that that it's like you're handing him his like you know this hot army man yeah (laughs) so yeah yeah, i was investigating that and playing off that yeah that relationship between hyper masculine aesthetics and gay culture and has that led into the work that you are exhibiting at site this year yes it has so my work that i'm presenting at site is uh their three figurative sculpture they're life-size so they're i think about like six foot each um that might be life-size for you esmond but (laughs) down here at the five foot end of the scale yeah go on (laughs) (laughs) yes so they're quite large and they are constructed um out of polystyrene but they're covered in plaster and they came out basically in a response to my research uh, in regards to the action figure and investigating, you know, oh, it's kind of funny, like, about the haha, big, tough action man, but investigating why is that? Um, and, the, and, and, yeah, getting into the nitty-gritty of why hyper-masculine aesthetics have become uh, associated and desired by gay men, basically. Mm. Um, and that led me to investigate the classical tradition of uh, sculpture, and its relationship to the idealized body. And so these sculptures are kind of exploring new ideals of bodies. So they're very chubby men, but they're also very generalized. Um, So they're not like, you know, they're not a Michelangelo. They're not super defined with muscles. They don't have faces. They don't have hands. And I was looking at one artist uh, by the name of Michael O'Keefe, and what he does is he makes very kind of amorphous pillars of plaster, but then he renders only just the feet, and then your brain kind of recognises, oh, actually, it's a figure, it's a person. Mm. And so that kind of gave me the idea of rendering what's only important to the sculpture to make it work because obviously with sight we only have you know x amount of time and i'm not a master carver or master um you know sculpture i don't have a big block of marble that i can render into a beautiful figure Mm. and so using that plaster and kind of just i guess it's almost like a materiality same with the polystyrene and like a very generalized kind of globby forms and then your brain can still recognize i am looking at a person and then rendering mainly just the bellies, these big bellies, kind of gives it, that's the focal point, or at least I hope that's how yes. they read, as you focus in on them. Because one of the issues I've been dealing with at work is kind of what do I focus on? You know, Michael O'Keefe, it's the feet for him, but is it like, if I, for example, made just the feet realism, then you're asking yourself, why are the feet important? Yes. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's just the belly and people going, okay, so why why is the belly the only like really quite recognizable feature? Um, and yeah, for me, that's kind of creating these more softened 
masculine figures. And I've seen photographs of them, and they mm. they are they are enormous, yeah. and that they're they're very beautiful in yeah. their way. And I look forward to lots of people seeing them at site. Ben, you've got nine works in site this year. Tell us about those. Yeah, um, my works, which the collection is titled um, Paragraph, all text-based works using dispersion, which is um, dry pigment mixed in with an acrylic medium, and then oil paint over the top. And I'm using the words in the way that I described earlier, where they are the only character in the work, and they're the vehicle that people will look at to look at um, the painting application and like the materiality of the surface, which is what I'm most interested in. I've painted them, some of them, not to be needlessly mysterious, I've painted some of them together, but I've separated them all, so it gives them a feeling of recognition as words, but you would need multiple ones together to be able to decipher anything from them. So you can mix and match. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I'm not individually titling them, they're all just going to be paragraph and... um, yeah, maybe someone wants to buy a few of them and try to figure out what they say together. <laughs> Look forward to seeing those. Yeah. So guys, you're at the end of this part anyway, of your educational journey in art. I guess, what of the future? It's no secret that it's difficult for artists to find full-time work in New Zealand. And I know from our previous discussions that this is what you'd both like to do, but is it what you will be doing? Esmond, where are you heading from here? Yeah, so we we kind of always joke about our degree being a bit useless, <laughs> um, and as we're kind of getting towards graduation, that uh, like the reality of that is sinking in. So um, I've been working, uh, looking for jobs, and I've actually just scored one. Lucky me! Go you! I know. So I'm actually going to be working in sales. Um, with Planet Media, which is under OUSA, and I'm really excited about that because I think it's going to have like a lot of transferable skills. Because a lot of the time at art school, we talk about you know becoming a sole trader, kind of working as your own business. You've got person. to sell yourself and exactly. your work. Exactly, and so I think this will be like really handy going into the future if I do want to become an artist. You know, all those transferable skills of like marketing and networking and all that jazz. But I've always had, even when I was at uni, when I was doing my geography degree, at the end. The end goal of that was always to become a teacher. And so even with my art one, it's still something I'd like to do. Maybe just a bit further down the track, just kind of when it feels right for me. I plan to go back and do a um, postgraduate and uh, become a teacher. I've always wanted to be the kooky art teacher. (laughs) It seems to be like a, a thing. Everyone has that kooky art teacher it must be yep I seem to recall my art teacher was pretty out there yeah Um, (laughs) fantastic that you've got some strings to your bow that's that's, um, very encouraging Ben what about you what are you up to yeah so I'm continuing with my tattoo apprenticeship so I'll be spending a fair bit of time doing that and that will be my main source of income, which will give me the agency to keep doing whatever I like with my artwork. How, and how long is it a tattoo apprenticeship, just out of sheer curiosity? There is no formal qualification for it, so it's generally considered about two years, but uh, different cultures and different studios have different ideas of that. For example, if you were a tattoo artist in Japan, a lot of them consider themselves apprentices for their entire career until they're in their mid-60s and then they're good enough to paint on temple. <laughs> okay. So I uh, probably won't consider myself one for that long. But <laughs> it sounds like a bit of an ask, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I'll continue doing that. And I'm considering doing um, honours qualification and then possibly moving to Ireland to uh, continue further study afterwards. 
Um, I'm from there originally, so it would be relatively easy for me to do so. And with tattooing as well, it's a perfect job to travel with. It's quite a tradition of it. And managing my own schedule with that would give me a lot of time to do, visit galleries, do all of the social art things that you need to do, and um, go look at some fantastic stuff through Europe, which would be really cool. Very inspiring indeed. And I, I guess when you're talking about the practicalities of working as an artist in New Zealand, mm. I, w- I want to ask you both about to what degree do you think you get training in the realities of suffering for your art? And I ask that against the background of the fact that, as you know, we interview artists all the time for sightlines, mm. and a lot of the people that we speak to, and all of them in fact, are hugely talented, but there is definitely a common thread which is working in cold, dark, damp, difficult locations. <laughs> what level, if we could talk to you first Ben about that, what level of insight do you get during your degree as to what that future is likely to involve for you if you want to pursue being an artist in a serious way? Mm, well, I remember one of the first things any of the lecturers told me when I started was uh, Michelle Beavers saying that if you're an artist, you have two jobs to a class of mostly 18-year-olds that had just left high school, and it seemed very off-putting to a lot of them. But as uh, with a lot of people who study a little bit later, I already realized I was quite miserable doing anything else, so would just do whatever it took to make it work. And... It's something I really enjoy doing, so I don't mind putting in as much time and effort, and it's like the one thing I've never felt guilty about spending money on for materials and the like. So, yeah, I had already accepted that as a reality before I'd started. I think it's not openly discussed that much, but there is um, a lot of the people who are already trying to do a lot of the professional practices and the like have realized that. Yeah, I don't So do you think maybe art... Studying art is, is for most people who end up at art school something that you can't not do. I think for not to sound pretentious, I think it, for people who are going to be artists regardless, then yes, you don't have to go to art school, but it does give you the agency to make art and not feel guilty about it. You're getting paid by StudyLink, assumedly, or something to that effect. So it gives you time to develop your practice, and hopefully you can find like a tutor or mentor that you respect that you can get immediate feedback from and recommend some further avenues to pursue and then have something to work on after you leave. So I found it really helpful for myself for that reason. But well, finding what you're good at. And yeah, 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 exactly. Esben, what about you? Yeah, I definitely agree with what Ben was saying, like about uh, working two jobs. A lot of artists I know generally do kind of have, you know, their day job. And if it can be something related to art, then great. Um, If it's not, then it's, you know, it's just that source of income that can fund your art. And yeah, we have a lot of guest speakers come in and it's, it's very much the general like consensus is that like you need to be a hustler. You need to like, you know, believe in yourself and your craft and just never stop doing, never stop, you know, trying, always, always taking any opportunity, submitting proposals, never losing hope and just really believing in yourself. And then, yeah, in regards to art school, um, of course you don't need to go to art school to be an artist. But what I have found is that it's really actually kind of broadened my 
understanding of art, especially like prior to coming to art school, I was mostly just like a drawer and painter. And then coming into that, it's like super skills based. And so I've just gone a bit crazy trying a bit of everything. (laughs) Well, if you (laughs) can do it, why not? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they have the facilities and it's, you know, again, great for networking. You meet a bunch of people, huge amount of different perspectives. And, you know, so I think it is invaluable. And I think another interesting thing going from uni to the Polytech is at the university, it was mostly people from you know, straight out of high school um, versus the Polytech. I think the median age was probably like, you know, somewhere in the early mid-20s. So it is a lot of people that, can you know, have kind of gone and done a bit of whatever and realised actually, no, this is actually something I want to pursue. It's really interesting to speak to you both about that, you know, for for our listeners to have Mm. an idea of what it means to go to art school. It's not just a random decision that people make because they don't want to do a geography degree, you know. (laughs) It's actually, it is a calling and and that you do have to, Mm. um, at the same time, get opportunities, but you do have to also make some sacrifices and be realistic about where you're headed. Ben and Esmond, it's been a great pleasure to have you both on Sightlines today. And I know I speak for all of our team and all of those who have worked with you at Polytech um, when I wish you the very best of luck when you leave with your freshly minted degrees and go out into the big wide world. And I encourage listeners to get down to Sight and check out and maybe even buy uh, your inspirational work. Thanks for listening to our show today. Join us again next month when we'll be joined by two local artists to debate the role of technology in creative practice. If you'd like to hear today's show again or listen to previous shows, you can find us on the Otago Access Radio and DPAC Society websites. Thanks to contributor Ross Curry and our producer Jonathan Quayoff. I'm Sally McMillan and you've been listening to Sightlines. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.